Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Challenger. At Challenger, we want to help you ensure that your retiree clients can meet their retirement needs today and tomorrow. To access thought leadership, insights, and tips on retirement planning for your clients, head on over to challenger.com.au forward slash XY. back to the XY Advisor Podcast. I'm Fraser Jack and we are talking all things retirement in this series, The Changing Landscape of Retirement. I'm here today joined by retirement specialist Martin McGrath. Welcome. Hey Fraser. Thanks mate. Thanks for having me. Now, now do you want to give the, uh, the listeners a quick uh, overview of yourself and your business? Yeah, so Martin McGrath based on the Central Coast, New South Wales, uh, financial advisor with my own practice, Financial Edge Group. I uh, had my own business about five or six years now and five or six staff and a big transition over the last few years and a bit of specialisation into the time and space. Now, this is a really interesting story, your uh, transition over the last few years, because uh, as you mentioned, sort of an accounting background. Uh, but do, you want, do you want to give us an overview of what your business looked like sort of a few years back and how you transitioned it? Yeah, so I started about five, six years ago and basically didn't buy a book or any business at all. Just started opening the doors and hoping people would come in, and they did. It probably was about 80% accounting and 20% 20% financial planning and the business just grew and I thought once I got to a certain size I'd be happy and then it got to that size and I realised that I felt like I was perhaps spreading myself a bit too thin and I really enjoyed the financial planning side of things so did a bit of soul searching, some research, talking to some coaches and decided at that point in time to focus on my I suppose passion and speciality which is the retirement planning and, and sold off the accounting side of the business and basically stop taking on any kind of clients that aren't in that retirement space. So don't really do a lot of Gen X, Gen Y, ironically, and like insurance advice, that kind of stuff. Um, so retirement's where we're at, and the business has kind of grown substantially on the back of that. Yeah, this is an uh, interesting decision to look back on at the time because it's very easy to look back and say that was a great decision, and, and I'm very happy I did it. But at the time when you're going through that, it's a big decision to make, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, and it was basically selling off about 70% of the business, keeping the other 30%. Uh, I still remember telling one of my staff members in particular, and we had a chat about this last week, where she's like, I think you're a bit crazy. I don't know what you're doing. Are you sure you thought about this? And I had. I had backup plans, but haven't needed them. And the business has probably grown. Yeah, obviously that 70% back and, and probably another doubled in size again on top of that over the last couple of years. Yeah, well, so it's like the old, uh, you know, was it two steps, you know, three steps forward, two steps back, whatever it might be. Mm. So you take a step back, you reduce the size, you specialise not just into financial planning, but into financial planning for a certain niche of client. Why why did you choose that niche? How did did that decision come about? Yeah, I think I I sat down and kind of figured out that I suppose there was three kind of retirement or three kind of financial planning clients I wanted to work with. And then sat down with a good mate who was a business coach and sold a business and kind of said, okay, well, of those three, which one do you like the most? Which one are you the best at? And he said, well, why don't you just do that one? So the other one was 
working with small business owners and the other one was Gen X, Gen Y. And he kind of said, well, if you really like that, you're the best at that. And then perhaps that's the, the best business to build upon. Just do one. And then kind of figured out that there was enough business in that one space to to build a business. And it's a bit of, if you focus on one area, you just get better and better at it. And that's kind of what we've done. Excellent. So you, you focus on that one area. You essentially sh- shrunk your business by 70%. So you down to the 30. Uh, mm. Then what? What size was the business then? It was sort of just you by yourself with one staff member? Yeah, myself and one staff member, probably down to like 20 clients. Um, and revenue, yeah, 100, 150 grand kind of thing. Um, so obviously I had to grow it back up. And yeah, kind of, okay, we need X amount of per clients per month to grow that back. And we've probably been doing double that per month. And have added a couple of offshore VAs, a couple more in-house, just bought on the social advisor and some more in-house support as well. Wow. So tell me about how many, is this just you still the advisor? Is there anyone else or is it? Just myself and the advisor. Um, associate advisor started about two months ago. So he'll, he'll get there in perhaps 12 months time. Um, but yeah, just myself and the advisor with a whole bunch of support in-house uh, and a little bit offshore. And even a bit of outsourcing as well recently because we just had too much work coming in, which is a good problem. So that yeah, exactly right. So that associate advisor, that's somebody doing the um, for see um, what I was going to say gap year professional year. Yeah, so technically he kind of isn't. He's he's managed to skip past that. He was on the register, um, so don't have to jump through all those hoops or tick those boxes. But also, I think we both kind of agree that it's still a bit raw. So helping behind the scenes, focusing on strategy, kind of doing a bit client service manager role at the moment uh, with the view that seeing his own clients, we've said it's a year, but effectively it's our little internal process. Um, But yeah, technically he is a fully fledged advisor. We just get some more confidence up the speed to get that happening. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? There's the, the the technicality and then there's also the, just the client confidence and the confidence in himself to that comes with experience. Yeah, for sure. And often you don't get that until you're sitting in front of clients. Uh, and so every client meeting I have, I always make sure I bring someone in. It also just helps the handover process a lot easier uh, in that process as well. Yep. So typically your clients right now, your specialisation, obviously retirement, uh, is that pre, is it the, the the consultation that often happens just before retirement that sometimes happens way too late? Uh, like what's the niche for you? Yeah, and that, that's what I realised is within the niche, there's still a further niche. So we then kind of segmented those clients actually fairly recently uh, into, I suppose, three more buckets, kind of that pre-retiree, maybe 50 plus. Uh, still got five or 10 years to go in a decent position, but trying to get themselves there faster or in a better position to do so. Uh, a few of those kind of last minute ones that are, I want to retire in six months or 12 months, what do I need to do? And sometimes that's also because they've just received an inheritance or something else has happened. Uh, and then more commonly, actually recently, is a few of those that are already retired, might have retired two years ago, five years ago, uh, but circumstances have changed where they're actually now needing to get some advice around how to invest and get a better return, but also perhaps a couple recently received some inheritances uh, when they're already kind of in their early 70s. You know, this is, okay, so this is a really interesting part of the conversation as well. Um, people coming in in that situation with it, like you said, they've received an inheritance, so everything's changed in their life with, with regards to, you know, tests, uh, income tests, asset tests. Um, how does this go? Like, like, tell us about this type of client that walks in that hasn't received advice before. Yeah, it's a, it's a scary process for them, I'd imagine, because um, we've had about three in the last month kind of on this basis where – 
nearly full pensioners probably haven't really received advice because probably haven't felt like they've needed to receive advice. Might have assets of two or 300 grand outside of their home, comfortable living on a pension and with a bit of top up. And then something's happened. Mum who was in their 90s or whatever and all of a sudden's passed on a million bucks and their circumstances are about to change drastically. So they're about to lose the full pension. Um, they're going to lose the benefits that come with that, but then also have a lot of money in the bank and not know what to do with it and, and want to make sure that's set up. So like anyone, we take them through the process, but we particularly make sure we slowly step them through because often it was a bit scary and different and the first time they're getting advice and perhaps even properly considering investment markets and returns and risk, all that kind of stuff as well. This is, a, this is an interesting process to go through. Hard to me to, to imagine, um, you know, obviously not not retired, um, but an interesting process for people to go through that are, that are at that age, that part of their life, a massive change between losing a pension or even you know, having to use a pension in that particular stage. And, mm. um, and, and, you know, we, we see that, you know, an inheritance of a million dollars, well, you know, that that's an inheritance. The reason you're losing your pension is because you're getting something else out of it, but a, a difficult transition I would imagine for these clients. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's a big attachment to having that pension and having those concessions and discounts and all that kind of stuff. And then they feel like they're definitely losing that. Um, and go, well, what else can I do? How can I get out of this? But but often it's too late. Uh, so then it's about, okay, well, let's figure out what to do with this money, uh, whether we have to consider tax now because our earnings might be higher. Uh, obviously, cash flow has drastically changed from having a regular pension coming in every fortnight to now I've got a lump sum of money. So we focus a lot on what I call the strategy and the structure. So how much do you need? When do we need it? How do we set up that as a structure uh, to make sure that it feels like a regular transfer? And often that conversation is, well, if you need it, you're self-funded. Uh, we'll try and make it feel and look the same. Um, but then also going, okay, well, is it best to go and put all this money in the bank return deposit at the moment? And that answer in at the moment is very much not the case. Um, so about trying to start that investment conversation as well. But we might often just start with the, Let's get that structure set up. This is how it's going to work. It's not just going to be a big bank account that runs out when it runs out. Let's set up the, the structure. So it's in different accounts. It feels like it's in different pots of money. Um, but at the end of the day, your bank card or ATM card is still going to get the same fortnightly transfer. It's just going to come from a different spot. And often that gives a certain level of comfort to go, okay, that makes sense. It's a bit of adjustment. We can we can deal with that though. Isn't it amazing the, uh, the the how different the numbers are versus the mindset? Like just that just that conversation between strategy and structure allows them to then be able to chunk that down into manageable pieces. Mm. Yeah, and it just makes that conversation. And I think often they come in thinking there's some I don't know, magic product that's going to fix it all, or some investment they're going to try and sell to them. And and often in the first meeting or two, we don't even talk about the investments, but just talk about the the structure of where the money is going to sit and how it's going to meet their needs and understanding what their needs and their goals are. Uh, and then as part of that, it kind of comes into, okay, well, if you're going to need, need X amount per fortnight, that's so much a year. Uh, either if we do nothing, the money will last this long or let's try and do something to get a higher level of return. Um, but often it doesn't end up, they're not in a position where they're starting to invest in the early 70s and want to have an 80% growth portfolio or anything like that. But um, having a conversation to at least make sure that we are investing some money to get them a better return. Yep. And what are you seeing in that space or that age groups when it comes to um, 
uh, obviously that we, we talk about the conversation around when somebody first retires and they want to go and spend some of their money and, and, and do things and be active and then uh, they start to slow down a little bit and um, I think it was described as sort of comfy shoes and type mm, scenario yeah. through to uh, through to um, that end of it. How do you see cash flow in retirement as something that sort of um, rather than just being a static number from you know the day you retire to your life expectancy? Yeah, I mean, I think like anything, there's lots of people that are different. I've got some clients that are in their seventies who still feel very young. Uh, some are still working and doing lots of travel, and therefore maybe have a lot of that capital requirements, but yeah, I think generally, uh, kind of once they kind of most people when see their seventies or a few years into their seventies, definitely a lot of that larger capital kind of cost, which is upgrading the car and the getting the caravan and the twenty thousand dollar overseas trip, uh, drastically reduces. But the kind of I'm finding the same fortnight to fortnight or week to week expenses are fairly similar. Uh, it's just some of those extra one offs might be the case. So it might be that they want fifty grand a year week to week and an extra. 20, 30,000 a year for capital cost. That extra kind of capital cost, as we call it, might only be for the first five or 10 years of retirement, but we kind of baseline the thousand bucks a week is expected to continue for a fair while. Yeah. So, so you have that baseline amount of money for, uh, for all those expense. Well, essentially, it's a little bit of budgeting as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is budgeting. And we, when we go through that process, we actually do separate it out to go, okay, we, not your annual living cost are 80,000 a year. Your, your general week to week living cost are 50,000 a year. Plus, you want this much for a holiday every year and upgrade the car every four years, da da da. Because, like, often they will stop at a certain point in time, whereas the week to week don't. So, rather than lumping it in together, we separate it out. And in some of our modeling, we assume, hey, this is going to stop after. 10 years uh, and therefore you can afford it now um, but also that we we won't factor it in forever because you're probably not taking those trips when you're in your 80s and 90s. Yeah now modeling is an interesting uh, conversation all all the time because obviously we base stuff off assumptions and then you know we get to the other end and it it, you know puts out numbers and we can say yes that's that's a that's a likely possibility and we all know that it's probably going to be uh, we, we don't know the answer because it could be anything. How, how do you go with um, those modeling conversations with your clients? Because obviously it sort of does provide a little bit of certainty around some stuff, even though it's it's still a moving target. Yeah, like I'm not a big fan of modeling. If you're in your 20s or 30s or even 40s, what's my retirement going to look like? I think that's a bit too hard and to and the, most of those are going to be wrong because something's going to change. There'll be inheritance or whatever. So we kind of only do it perhaps in those kind of three to five years out for retirement just to kind of realise are we on track and what's the difference between retiring at 62 versus 64? Uh, is that going to be an extra 20 grand a year? Is it worth it? Do I retire early? That kind of thing. And, and, but I do we find we actually give it annually to all our clients who have already retired just to give a certain level of confidence that, yes, your money is going to last and that you it's not going to run out to 110 and at that point it's going to be someone else's problem, that kind of thing, because I often find that is the conversation around that. Is, well, how am I going to have enough? How's it going? Will it last kind of thing? Uh, and I think that seems to be a lot of the main concern, particularly with kind of lower return environments and some of the uncertainty we've seen over the last couple of years, that that seems to be a common question. Yep. Now take, take us back to your um, pre-retiree um, target. Uh, market, as in um, as in those people that are sort of um, you know five to ten years out, let's say, 
Talk to us about those clients and uh, around the concept of planning this, you know, five years out versus 10 years out and, and what might be the difference in that. And just, and then what those people are thinking in, in, as they're coming into the office, what's their sort of motivation to getting advice 10 years out? Yeah, and no, I think that's I, no, not the ideal time to type, but, but, but a great time to start at five or 10 years, particularly the 10 years out, because it's close enough to make it feel real, but far enough to kind of make an impact. Uh, if it's 12 months out, there's not much we can do. And so in terms of, I probably haven't thought about it too much, but I think about the clients that we work with, if it is at less than five years, often it's about just maximising what they've got. So it might be that by that point in time, the house is paid off or close to paid off, the kids have moved out, so it's excess, excess cash. Is that going into some catch-up contributions we've been doing lots of, some non-concessionals in the right name, all that kind of stuff, or selling that rental property and topping up super and trying to figure out where they're at. If it's the 10, 10 to 10 plus kind of clients coming in their early 50s at, at least to 60 and maybe beyond, beyond, we are still perhaps doing some building. So it might be that we're using some equity to invest in some shares, buy a property, um, that kind of stuff where we, we've still got, a, would say, at least a full cycle or two that they kind of go, yeah, when you've got some cash flow, maybe there's still some debt that we need to plan for, but we've got some time still to build some assets. So I'd say generally that's kind of the key difference, but the closer we are 50, we're probably still building some assets. The closer we are to 60, kind of optimising what we've got. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, what about their main motivations for coming? What do you think it's driving them to seek advice at that time? Yeah, I, we've had a few, I suppose, that fall in different parts often. It might be that they're, received a lump sum or an inheritance or something like that, that I often find that seems to be the key driver for a lot of people. Uh, and then a few that we've had recently as well, kind of in that late 40s, early 50s, is that they've kind of seen their parents retire and and feel like that, hey, well, I want to have been be in a better position than they are and what do I need to do now to get myself there? A, a lot of the clients we work with, it's probably their first time getting advice. And so... It's a big education process and we really focus on that. And often is you don't know what you don't know. So they're working really hard, paying a lot of tax and trying to clear their mortgage at 2.5% after they paid 47% income tax to instead going, well, maybe we should start building some assets inside of super and these are tax concessions we can get and, and that kind of stuff that, okay, I didn't know about that. That makes sense. We should start doing a bit of that and then factor that into the planning. So I think, yeah, some of those in the 50s is seeing mum and dad retire and, and not have as many options as they'd like and, and trying to make sure they're in a better position themselves. It's interesting. I find the triggers always very interesting that, you know, that as to why people are motivated to do stuff. And you're right, often it's a, it's a story where they go, oh, I don't want to find myself. It's a negative motivation. I don't want to be in that It's position. a negative, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I've yeah. actually, you know, I've, I've come to a space where I'm going to start talking to somebody. Um, really good. Now, um, now when you, uh, like you mentioned, that's um, a lot of education in your process. Tell us about that process. How, is this one meeting, two meetings, three meetings? Like what is your process when you first meet somebody? Yeah, so a few years ago I went to a conference and they talked about doing videos and why I should do videos. So I kind of committed about two, two and a half years ago to do some fairly regular videos, a lot of education stuff. So across all topics and case studies and conversations and and so often by the time someone's come to us, they might have seen a few of those. I think that makes that conversation a bit easier. Uh, And then we actually use a lot of those videos through our communication. So even before a client comes in, 
Uh, they've got a few contact points from us and what to expect in the meeting. We are talking about that and what the financial planning process looks like. Um, our first meeting is, is what we refer to as a bit of a discovery meeting, which is like a lot of advisors. So we don't really jump into to products or details, but just conceptually talk through some things about where they're at, where they're trying to get to, um, what are some things that they should look at and consider and how that all comes into play. And then we always follow that up with a few videos that are relevant to what we've spoken about. So um, there's now a library of a bit over 100 different videos, so I'll pick two or three and go, yep, these make sense. These are consistent with kind of the conversations and concepts for this client. And then we gives us the chance, I suppose, to really understand what they're looking for and how we can help. And then we come back to them uh, if they're comfortable to do so and kind of go, okay, what's next? What's the process look like? What are the fees where we think we can help them? Um, to under, so they've got a clear understanding about what that process looks like before they get started. Uh, and then we come back with another kind of fact-find meeting and delve into more detail and, and speak further about concepts uh, and then go away and piece it together to put some advice documents. But, but generally from the first kind of contact to putting the SOA back on the shelf, there's at least five face-to-face meetings through that process. Yeah, that's it. Now, people are listening, listening to that thinking that's a lot, but that's a lot of contact in, you've had with those clients before and I guess uh, knowing some of the people that have helped you in along the way you probably you probably get a decision whether they're going to proceed with you sort of in the first or second meeting yeah correct so typically in the first meeting we'll get some kind of yes this makes sense we're very interested let's can you help us understand what the process looks like and cost involved to do so and that's where we kind of go through that in the second meeting and I'd say that um, since we've been using that model probably at least 80 percent from the first meeting go to the second and and again, i know the stats it's a bit over 80 percent from the second meeting go ahead with the, the advice document the soa and we actually ask for deposit straight after that meeting as well yeah fantastic now i just want to go back to this pre um conversation part because i, I love the fact that you've done over 100 videos uh and you can talk about all these different things every time you say something three or four times in a, that's that's enough make a video on it yeah uh, Talk to us about this process just quickly because I think I think it's very clever and uh, underused by many planners. Making some videos, putting them into a video bank, and then being able to reuse those. Whether you're, whether you're talking about a similar strategy, and especially because you're you're specialised in a certain zone, I'm sure you would have these conversations a lot. Tell us about how you put that together, and um, and and are you are, you know, and what it's done for your business. Yeah, so I've got a I suppose a video guy that that I do. He comes out once every six months or thereabout and, and updates some professional videos, so to speak. But the general kind of library is I record those once a month, just get my iPhone. I've got a little mic and a little tripod stand with a light on it and kind of batch those together. And often that they're along a topic. So I just did a topic last month about business owners and thought about some questions we've got and some ideas that I think we should talk about and even a few case studies. And I think I went into the boardroom we've got here and recorded about 10 or 11 videos in the space of about two hours. And yeah, they're not full productions, they're not Hollywood things, but they're, um, I don't know, they all go between three and seven minutes, often one quick question topic and how should business owners pay less tax and here's a few tips, da, da, da. I recorded those on my phone. I flicked them to my video guy who puts the intro title, some captions on there, the compliance stuff at the back, um, if I've got some kind of graph or whatever I wanted to insert, I can send that to him. 
and and he takes a week or so to turn them around and we just schedule those posts to go out uh, on the different social sites a couple of times a week over the next few kind of four to six weeks is the plan. So um, like a lot of things, you can make it as big and sophisticated as you want to, but often it's just keeping it simple and they're the best kind of results we get from those ones of, okay, that, that question is exactly what I was looking for. That made a lot of sense and how do I find out more and um, how do I make that happen and get them implemented and people reach out on the back of that. Yeah, brilliant. Love it. Now, really, really good for also for, for, for new clients coming in, but how do you find them also? Do they get watched by your existing clients? Yeah, so obviously they get uploaded on the, the social networks all on that themselves and, and often I find client will come in and go, I saw that video last week about da da that makes lots of sense. And I'm like, okay, great. So they're definitely watching it as well. And then even on the back of reviews, so someone might come in and it might be that we're flagging a downsize of contribution and they haven't heard it before. And so even I'll talk it through in the meeting with them when we send the ROA out or some post paperwork, we'll just, hey, by the way, here's a link to the video that Martin spoke about the downsize of contribution in. And they can just watch that whenever they want later. Uh, it might fill in some gaps that we didn't cover or they might have forgotten some things we covered. And also I find that or what I'm hoping is that they might then flick that on to somebody else, um, that even if I cover it all in the meeting, that's a good little marketing thing that they can go, oh, by the way, hey, you should check out this guy because he mentioned this for me, this might help you. Yeah, brilliant. I, I, I 100% agree with that concept. It's certainly something that's that's a little bit different. Uh, that They feel great about it. They get the information. They can absorb it in their own time. Uh, and then you're right, they will flick it on to their friends and, and people in situations where they see just like that. So so congratulations on that. Well done. Um, now, I wanted to talk to to you about some of the stuff around, um, you know, what people are going through. Uh, one of the things we've mentioned in the past and chatted about was this uh, conversation around longevity and that being a really weird and uh, conversation to have with people. Uh, do, you want to, do you want to kick off on that sort of subject? Yeah, so I suppose part of that woman money last conversation is around, well, how long am I going to live? And that often is a hard conversation to have with people and often we just kind of as best joke it down as well and go, well, hey, if you can tell me how long you'd live for, I can make sure your money lasts. And, and, but also as part of that conversation, it spins in the back of that, yes, I'm not your doctor, I'm not your health expert, but it is important to keep me updated on any of this kind of stuff because obviously we know there's different tax consequences and planning consequences when people pass away. So I do try and highlight that pretty early in the process as well that, Hey, if, if something does change in circumstances, sure, there are some other people to call first, but but keep me in the loop because in case there's something we need to change or be proactive with, uh, it's best to do that while we can. But I suppose giving the guys both confidence to clients about will their money last and how long their money is going to last is a large part of that. But there's a couple of clients come to mind who are, I suppose, fairly switched on, uh, elderly investors or clients, so to speak, that are in their 80s. Uh, one lady in particular that is fairly proactive about making sure that her estate is set up as best as it can be and as efficient tax-wise, all that kind of stuff that, that she's smart enough to know that she's not going to be here forever. She's got more than enough to look after herself and has all her needs covered, all that kind of stuff, and making sure that the assets are in the right name and most tax-efficient so that when she does pass, it's not a matter of if but when, um, she's leaving the best legacy she can. So I think... For the clients that get that, uh, obviously that can make a big impact for their future generations as well. Yeah, couldn't couldn't, couldn't agree more. Now, this conversation that you have around um, health, because obviously it's a big part of um, retirement, um, 
So your clients will ring you, you'll encourage your clients to ring you if uh, after they've spoken to their doctor or whatever diagnosis might be and then that then prompts uh, regular review conversations. Yeah, so it's, and it's even part of our agenda. We talk about how's, how's your home, how's your cash flow, how's your health. Um, and, and it's one of the first kind of questions we cover off on when we have their review meetings and we make sure we have our client review meetings obviously fairly frequently. And, and yeah, and often it's a bit of a joke, but if they go, oh, no, everything's fine, I'm like, okay, cool, just as a reminder, like, just make sure that um, I'm aware of any of this kind of stuff. Uh, and I just kind of even highlight or plant some seeds about some of the things that we couldn't, should consider to make sure that that's brought up. So it's not just, okay, on the back of the SOA, right, is your health good, bad or average? It's something that we always come back to. And then it kind of what I want to do more and better is kind of getting those kind of key relationships with that next generation as well just to make sure that if, I don't know, mum or dad's being too proud and they're not telling Martin about what is really going on, um, that at least they're aware of that, hey, you should really tell Martin that your health isn't as good as it is because he might have some things we need to plan for or consider. Fortunately, it doesn't happen very often, but obviously when you specialise in, in looking after retirees and average age would be close to 60 if not older, it's a matter of time. So we want to make sure we put their clients in the best position to look after themselves and, and future generations. Yeah, I'd imagine there's a lot of conversations that you would have with, um, say, an existing client and either their parents or their children that are either approaching retirement or approaching aged care. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and it's happened a few where clients have come to us in their late 50s and as part of the conversation it's come up, oh, actually, you know what, this is mum's situation. Can you help a little bit here and what does this mean for us and my siblings and how does that factor in and, and that kind of stuff. So um, I've actually gone, got some qualifications in the aged care, aged care space. We don't do a lot of advice on it because we're too busy doing other things and there's specialists that I prefer to refer those clients to, but it's important that I'm across those to have those conversations and identify problems uh, when they might arise. And so we definitely cover that off on as part of the conversation. Yep. Now, a lot of the, uh, obviously, um, you're covering education standards in the conversation. Um, how important has that been? Obviously, the education standards are rising and you're going to get more qualifications all the time. Um, how important has that been around the, the higher education standards and, and transparency around the education standards that, with your clients? Yeah, so... Uh, I suppose my background is I'm a tax agent, chartered accountant, uh, and I went and got my RG146 at the time and felt I got it very quickly and went, oh, I'm not qualified to go give advice. So a number of years ago, I went and did the master's degree in financial planning. So uh, I was fairly fortunate. I didn't have too many hoops to jump through, but still had a, a mandatory ethics and obviously the exam. And, and we're, we're being transparent. So we're telling clients uh, that, hey, there's been some big changes. Um there's some changes in terms of cost, in terms of how we work, in terms of our cost as well, but also that, that myself and advice has to make sure we meet and cover off on. We've been doing annual opt-ins for a while, so there's not too much changing in that space and, and I've always tried to be as transparent as possible in terms of our fees as well. So we're, we're not too drastic in terms of the changes we need to make there. We didn't have a lot of kind of grandfather commissions or anything like that, which I'm fortunate we didn't. But we've kind of, hey, by the way, I've done this and I had to do this and we'll always, there'll be something else that we'll have to cover off on. Um, and I think it's important that, that the clients are aware that yeah, it's not a set and forget thing for their plan, but also not a set and forget in terms of the, the environment we're working in as well. Yeah, environment's a, 
uh, well, the current environment's a bit crazy anyway for a lot of people. We've been through we've been through a royal commission, and now we're in a in a zone. Um, you know, that was a, that was a, a time for a lot of retirees that sort of then questioned some of the advice that they had, and then and then we sort of I think I feel like we're almost through that, but um, now we're into new sort of weird territories when it comes to things like you know very low returns um, on secure products. What what are your thoughts around that sort of stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's no way to hide it in terms of and going back to those previous conversations about those clients that haven't really had advice and all of a sudden they've got a million dollars and I explained they're going to lose their pension and the consequences of that. Um, but okay, well, if I go put that million dollars in the bank, is that going to cover what I was getting? And the short answer is no, it's not in the current environment. Um, and so kind of talking them through some options and, and how we try and find some income and, and yield. Uh, and that we need to take a little bit of extra risk without taking too much risk down that path. And often it's a big education process for for anybody, but particularly kind of elderly people if it's a first time investing. And we've adapted a few years ago uh, and it's worked fairly well, particularly in the last couple of years with the market volatility, a, a fairly distinct bucket approach uh, where we have three buckets that we separate clients' funds into whether they're retired, whether it's an SMSF, whether it's outside of super, we approach it the same way. And I find that conversation with clients gives them a certain kind of ease that, okay, well, I am taking some extra risk to try and get some extra return, but I've got so many years of cash set aside so that if something does happen, it's affecting my money that's in five years' time or even longer, not the money that I need next week or the month after kind of thing. Yep. Now, obviously, um, debt's been... You know, it's not just investments that are uh, on low low rates, right? Also with debt, um, how are you finding the the appetite? I guess if you like for uh, having debt in retirement. Yeah, I don't think, and I kind of say to people that the methodologies change or the mindsets change. It used to be that I don't, you do nothing else until you've paid your mortgage off. And I think given the tax rates we pay here in Australia and also the low interest rates, that doesn't make as much sense, particularly those kind of clients in their fifties. And one of the most popular videos we did a few years ago was mortgage versus super, which was just a very fairly simple kind of calculation to kind of show, well, if I'm paying all this tax and trying to clear it a home loan at a low interest rate versus putting into super, means that my loan might not be gone by 60 or whenever I meet my preservation age, but uh, I'll have more overall and maybe I can be comfortable that my mortgage won't be gone by the point in time, but I'll be $100,000 better off and therefore I can take that money out and clear the mortgage that way. I think a lot more people are very comfortable with that conversation, knowing that kind of big picture in mind. Generally, kind of, I was trying to say, well, by the time we're ready for the age pension, uh, we want to, as best as possible, be in a position where we're debt-free, particularly against home, maybe not investment, but particularly against home. Yeah, it's always been this. there's always been this fear of debt, isn't it? And uh, uh, you're right about well, if your income stops, you need to make sure you've got rid of all of your debt. And it's just interesting to be able to, to, to visualise or see the numbers um, and not just just go on the raw emotion of it. Yeah, and it, emotion is exactly it. Another client the other day who was sitting here and, and I could tell, I could see her tense up as soon as I said that we might try and reduce the mortgage repayments to, to free up some cash flow for super contributions. And it's important that we're aware of that, that it's, it's easy sitting behind a spreadsheet and saying this is definitely the right answer, but people need to have a certain level of comfort that they're sleeping at night and they can say that they're mortgage-free or debt-free or the loan will be gone by 58. Um, that, so I think come back to the education of kind of going, okay, this is why we should look at it. This is the benefit of doing so. Uh, I'll run some quick numbers for you to show you what it looks like in terms of dollar figures, but at the end of the day, 
you've got to be comfortable that the debt might be here for a bit longer. And often it comes back to going, well, okay, I'm comfortable that the debt's still here as long as I know when it's going to be gone by. And so we paint that demonstration for and go, well, when you retire at 62, we'll cash in, the debt will be down to X and we'll take that out of super, but there'll still be this much left behind on top and therefore you'll be in a better position. Yeah, fantastic. Now, what are the main things that people are entering retirement? What are their main fears around, you know, entering that space? Obviously, it's an unknown space for them. The, the, you know, the idea of giving up an income uh, and not having that anymore, that security blanket of being able to, you know, fund the next thing. Talk to us about what the main fears are going into retirement. Yeah, I think very simply, as soon as they retire is when is my next pay coming in? And often we even try and use that, some of that language of going, well, this is your super and this is where your pay is coming from now. And we even try and line it up as best as possible that if they were getting paid fortnightly, your super come, your super pension comes in fortnightly or monthly, whatever it is. So it feels that transition is um, as smooth as possible. Once they kind of get past that and we even once someone's retired and we set that up for them, we try and catch up just a couple of months later to make sure that is it all going as smooth as it is, what you thought you'd be getting, does it all make sense, is it hitting the right day of the week as best as possible, all that kind of stuff. And then it, I think the other kind of key question is, well, do I have enough? Am I on track? Is it going to last? Which I completely get because they kind of go, once I'm retired, I'm not going back to work. I can't bring any more money in. I need to make sure the money I've got lasts as long as possible. Uh, and therefore, as best as we can, those projections put their mind at ease or just a certain level of comfort to go, yes, your portfolio is currently generating this in income and it was nicer when it was higher. That was easier if it was generating a nice 3 or 4 or 5% and they're only living off that much, well, then clearly you've got this, You've got 60 grand coming in, you're only living off 55, you're fine. But kind of giving the comfort that, hey, we've got this much money stockpiled set aside that you've got plenty of years of living expenses looked after. Yeah, you mentioned sort of that transition of the mind uh, conversation going on and that, that snap from being, you know, one day you're employed, the next day you're not, which is an interesting uh, concept in itself. How long does that take somebody to go through that transition of the of the mind? Uh, and does it help if they're sort of if they cut down from work full time to part time to to stop it? Yeah, client said it to me actually last month. He said effectively, I still feel like I'm on holidays. I'm about to get the phone call to go back or something like that. Um, and a few clients have said to me last week, it, it nearly takes up to six to twelve months to realise that no, no, I'm not going back, and this is not just a nice long holiday. So I think it does take a bit for that mind kind of to ease and transition as best as we can. We look after the, the financial, the numbers side and the tax side. Um, but we we then have those conversations around, well, what, how are we feeling our days and what are we doing with that? Are we taking those trips and maybe not in the last 18 months as much as we'd like to or are we looking after grandkids? Are we playing golf? Just try and understand so they can also picture what that looks like um, because I think there's a big impact as well. But I think it does take a while you know for most people it's not waking up the next morning going okay i'm retired what does life look like now is that it does take a while to to feel that transition yeah now uh technology is a big part of my life as it, as it is with most of us um how does technology uh you know go for those people in in, in retirement i think people that are retiring now or in you know have, have actually had a chance to get used to a lot of technology but for some of those older ages it can be uh, a little bit confronting yeah, it can, uh, definitely. And I think we just try and do our best with that. And I think perhaps COVID, so to speak, has accelerated a lot of people that they didn't do docu-signing or Zoom meetings or whatever and have quickly just had to adapt and many are happy to stay to that. And, and now most of our clients 
electronically sign everything and and when an RDF to drop in the office, there still are a few. You kind of said that that just missed that kind of technology piece. And as best as possible, we just try and make it easy for them and ease the burden and we'll post something out instead or whatever or a few clients that we're more than happy just to, to drive by in the afternoon and get something signed on the way home or in the morning. We've got clients that pop into the office, but but not as frequently as perhaps even a few years ago, that people are happy to, to use technology in their favour. In terms of portfolio tracking, all that kind of stuff, I think for when people retire, we offer and we give, set all that stuff up for them. And they might, for at the start, check that maybe more frequently than they should. Uh, but after a while, it seems that, okay, have you logged on to here? No, no, I've... No, I don't. I don't worry about that anymore. I just wait till I come and see you or give you a call or something like that. So, I think it's it's nice they know it's there, um, but I think also that they're kind of happy to ignore it if they don't need it. Yeah, there's still very much a human element, isn't it? They sort of, you know, if as you mentioned, they're checking it, can be checking it too often too, can't they? And then and then have to ring you up and say, oh, the market's dropped overnight. <laughs> Yeah, and I think also I was speaking to a few other advisors when we all work from home and, oh, this might be the new normal and I might stay doing this way. And I think I personally enjoyed getting back in the office and being in front of humans. And I think perhaps predominantly the retirement space that I'm in or even the pre-retirement space is that it is such a personal, it's a big thing, it's more than just numbers or money, that it is a relationship thing. They want to be able to meet someone and have a chat and understand all that. So particularly for new client meetings, we do those face-to-face and then some review meetings, we, we offer it to every client and let them pick, but we often find that most of them like to come in and have a chat and, and cover that stuff on because we might spend five or ten minutes actually talking about their investments for the rest of the time it's catching up on other things. And I think it's much more of that kind of relationship uh, than, a, I suppose, a transactional type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Now I mentioned um, earlier that you can build a great relationship with the videos that you're producing uh, and the content that you're providing. So they almost feel, uh, to me, would feel like almost that they had a deeper relationship with you than you got to know them. So you're really getting in a room with them. It's it's also about you getting information around them and getting to know them. Yeah, for sure. Um, because they might have I don't know, heard my voice so many times or, or seen my face on the website or in different videos that we drop out to them before they come in. Um, we've tried some different things with getting information before they come in, but often I find that it's best or, or they're most open when it's in the meeting and just kind of talking it through when they'll reveal something, it'll lead to something, we'll have that conversation. But, yeah, I think it's very much trying to understand where they're at, what their big concerns are, because often that's the biggest thing of going, okay, well, I've got this money or I'm in this position, but... There are many clients that are in their 60s with the same dollars on the page, but their needs and outcomes are going to look very different because of different circumstances. Yeah, concerns are uh, concerns are a big part of it. And, and sometimes I'm just thinking that um, their concerns wouldn't be apparent or that the first thing that they say, it's sort of something that you find out when you dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, and even another you know, client the other week came in and all of a sudden that we spent most of the conversation talking about her son and the concerns she's got for her son and his well-being, all that kind of stuff. And and there's no way a portfolio report or even on a, a perfect fact find or reverse fact find would have probably presented all that. Um, but once we're able to kind of talk her through how she could help him and what that might look like, uh, I think that very much kind of put her concerns at ease. 
Yeah, fantastic. Now, Martin, thanks for coming on and chatting us to us today about uh, the changing landscape of retirement. Tell us about, uh, as before we go, your business, what, what, where to from here? Like, what is it going to look like? Uh, what's the changing landscape of your business look like over the next few years? Yeah, so continued growth. I think we're in a position and, and perhaps, I don't know if we looked at the average age of retirement advisors, I'm 34, turning 35. A lot of the, the retirement advisors in my space are in their 50s and 60s themselves. And that's even part of a marketing thing. We talk to clients about that when you're ready to retire, we'll still be working and we can help you transition through. Um, whereas a lot of perhaps even more, particularly in the area I'm in, a lot of the other retirement advisors will probably already be retired by the time their clients are retiring. So we're trying to really set up and focus on the retirement space and continue to, to niche down, um, grow the business by bringing on another advisor or two over the next few years. And I think we'll yeah, just continue to be in this retirement space because there's a, a lot of wealth in this space, there's a lot of wealth transferring into this space, there's a lot of complexity and, and the government always likes to change things on us. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some big opportunities for where we're at. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You hit the nail on the head when you said wealth transfer then. There's certainly a lot of that coming. Mm. Fantastic, Martin. Thank you so much for hanging with us today. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences. Uh, thank you so much. If someone wants to continue the conversation, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, uh, on the social uh, financial edge group on Facebook or Instagram and Martin McGrath on LinkedIn. Happy to reach out and have a chat. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks, Fraser. Well, there you have it, another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and I'm joined by Emily Blanche, and we are going to do some shout-outs. Yes, my favourite time of the week. So let's give a massive shout-out to XY Advisor and XY Legend, Brett Evans. He joined us for a an XY Plus web event today and absolutely crushed it. We dived into SEO and digital footprint. We went really deep and Brett totally uh, like took us through everything, his whole journey in how an advice business can get their uh, brand on page one of a Google search. Uh, phenomenal session. Um, we did some live demonstrations as well. Brett actually did some live evaluations of advisors who tuned in live of their, of their website. So we could actually get a, a real life look at where they could improve, what where they were doing really well, um, and tips and tricks to start to implement ways to get your business on page one of Google. So phenomenal session, uh, well worth catching up for anyone who's in XY Plus and, and well worth joining XY Plus to be to be frank if you want to uh, level up your SEO. Well, uh, well, that's a glowing, glowing report, and absolutely right. It, you know, it's one of those things that there is so much to learn, and for somebody who's you know been through that process and can jump straight into the do this, do this, don't do that conversation. It's amazing. So that's 90 minutes of your life that you'll, uh, you'll, it's well worth checking out. Um, now, you mentioned the web event. That's for XY Plus members. So as you mentioned, if you're not part of XY Plus, then get on it. 